Hello, listener. Welcome to the Talking Points Podcast. I'm your host, Dave, uh, and you've tuned into the very first episode that I've released. It's not the first that I've recorded, uh, but it will be the first that I've released. And I think that's because it's uh, such a an important and interesting issue. And the feedback that I've received um, in and around this discussion has been overwhelming, to say the least. Um, on today's episode, I talked to Chris Seipel. Uh, Chris is a teacher by trade, but no longer uh, serves as a f- teacher in the formal sense. Uh, so he's a tutor uh, in mathematics, but he's also someone who works in the mental health field now, uh, helping groups and individuals with uh, understanding their mental health uh, and ways in which it can be improved and warning signs can be recognised. The content today is uh, confronting at times. We delve right into the details of Chris's experience, his lived experience with mental health, and it is at times confronting. Uh, So on that basis, I probably should warn those who are sensitive to these sorts of discussions, maybe this isn't the podcast for you. In saying that, I do think that there is some really worthwhile information that's brought to light during the discussion especially around how to talk to people with mental health issues. Um, It's not something that comes naturally to a lot of people. It's very difficult. A lot of people don't know how to approach these sorts of topics. And I don't and didn't during the discussion, and that was evident, um, and we cover that a little bit. Lastly, I should say that this podcast is not uh, medical advice. None of the information contained within is medical advice. Um, I'm not a medical professional neither is chris and although that seems self-evident um feels like in this day and age you have to say that Uh, so when we talk about psychedelics or pharmaceutical solutions to mental health uh, or meditation or any other um means through which you can improve your mental health this is just two blokes talking it's not two medical professionals making medical recommendations Chris can be found on Facebook and Instagram. On Facebook, he is uh, at Chris Seipel, S-E-I-P-E-L. And on Instagram, it's just C-S-E-I-P. C-S-E-I-P. He has a website as well uh, through which you can contact him, and that is thementalhealthmentor.com. That's all one word. Um, I really hope you enjoy today's episode. I plan to release more in the coming weeks um, that obviously are on different topics, but I find them similarly interesting. So if you enjoy, please subscribe. Uh, It would be great. It means a lot. And any feedback that you have, uh, log on to the Talking Points podcast Facebook page um, and shoot me a message or send me an email. There's the details contained there. Uh, And if there are any issues or topics that you want me to cover, uh, I'd be more than happy to, and I'd be more than happy to hear some feedback on today's episode. Thanks and enjoy. Chris, welcome. Cheers, mate. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You've invited me to your place. For those who don't know, I'm not going to say where he lives, but Chris is a baller. He's living in (laughs) one of the... The richest suburb in Brisbane. (laughs) (laughs) Mate. I feel like a povo from Fernie Grove. I've got my passport on the way here <laughs> stamped to come into the good part of town. Mate, thanks for coming on. I um, For the listeners, I know Chris through rugby. Yeah. Uh, Chris plays and coaches uh, at Souths and so do I. And um, I came across some stuff actually of Chris's online once um, on Facebook and 
it sort of – and so we had had some – I've always spoken to you if I see you at rugby, but I've never really had a huge amount to do with you. And then mm. I actually saw something that you put up on Facebook once and when I clicked on your profile because I was doing a little bit of stalking then, I thought I'll just have a look at what, <laughs> what Chris is up to. Yeah, I noticed that you had some stuff on there um, in and around the mental health space and yep. I then started to go down and follow your links to that and your work in that space um, and – yeah, really fascinating stuff. And so I wanted to get you on today to have a chat about uh, mental health in general and, and maybe your experiences if you're happy to talk about that because I think it's a really important area that's not discussed enough and not discussed openly enough. Um, yeah. Too many people shy away from real conversations about it. But before we get there, your background wasn't in mental health, was it? You were a teacher by trade. Yeah, so I finished school and I wasn't really sure what to do, so... One of my mates was doing a sports management degree, so I did that. Yeah. I thought I was going to be the next biggest player agent in the world. <laughs> and I made, I think in a calendar year, I made five grand, so. Oh, so you actually were a player agent for a bit? Yeah, I signed a guy, young kid for, to the Brumbies. And oh, true. It was a 50 grand contract and I got 10%, which was five grand. Oh. But that was it for the year, so <laughs> I then decided, you know, what, what could I do? And I've, I've always liked helping yeah. people and I thought, you know, I'll try to try to do the teaching thing so I became a school teacher and yeah I have been since 12 months ago I've been a school teacher for 16 years yeah so you did human just before I go on to what you actually did at uni do you know I went to uni and did my law degree because I wanted to be a sports agent I was like this is gonna be great Eddie Maguire. yeah mate <laughs> I was like this will be so good I'll be screaming about showing me money and all this rubbish but I never ended up doing it because it seemed like a really hard gig um, and the people who run those industries don't really want to let you in freely because market's not huge. Yeah. Um, so you went to uni and did human movement. Yeah. You did a applied science degree. Yep. And then teaching as well. Yep. Why didn't can I ask? I, when I read that, I was curious. Why didn't you get into like PE teaching or? Well, I so the first two years you you work with the guys that end up doing exercise science and yeah. become personal trainers and things like that, and yeah. the second two years you can choose to go down that route or become a school teacher and so I am trained I'm actually uh, trained in PE and junior science but there was, there's a massive need for maths teachers and so I just started teaching maths and then I just learned so much on the job and before you knew it I was teaching year 11 and 12 so did you have an interest in maths previously like, yeah was yeah I was always good at maths at school but it wasn't something that I thought I would teach but being a PE teacher, mate, being outside in the sun all the time, you see the old weathered PE teachers and I just didn't <laughs> want to look like that. So safe in the classroom, kids are sitting down, yeah. good boys' private school, it's a pretty easy job. Did you go to the school you taught at? Yeah, but it was never my intention to go back and teach there. Yeah, I don't know. I, do you know, I, I was when I left school I was tossing up what to do and teaching was one of the options and I thought, I don't know if I could ever go back to the school. I, what was that like as an experience? Well, it was... <clears throat> 15 years after I'd finished and I'd just been in the UK right. and I came back, I just sent emails out to all the schools with my resume and they were the only school that got back to me. So. Yeah, right. And so did, was it, did you have any of the teachers that yep. taught you that were yep. your colleagues? Heaps of them were still there. My old First 15 coach, my old PE teachers, yeah, all there. Is that still. a weird experience? It was weird at first but then I got pretty close with them and yeah. they're actually good friends now which yeah, is yeah, yeah. quite strange but yeah. A lot of them are actually really good people. Like they are. Yeah. Uh, the principal, the current principal of the school I went to, um, 
is one of the all-time great blokes, doesn't mind a tipple and yeah, yeah. <laughs> is happy to when he catches up with old boys to yeah, it's good, to have a ripping time. Yeah. And he was our head of year when we were there. He was a great bloke. Like, yeah. And you sort of don't realise it at the time. You just think, God, I wish this tyrant would leave us alone. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> after yeah. the fact. So you, 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 you were a teacher for a while, you did math teaching, and then you stopped doing math teaching. And this sort of leads into your work in the mental health space. Yep. So what made you stop doing teaching? Are you happy to... Yeah, do you want the, yep. want the long story? Yes. So I've struggled with anxiety my whole life since yep. I've been about five and some things happened which I don't talk about. Sure. But I, I suppose I went from relationship to relationship and I always struggled in those and then I met a woman and we were together for 10 years and got married anyway we we got divorced and and I thought I was okay I was dealing with it I was on medication and yeah and things seemed to be okay my brother split up with his wife at the same time we moved in together sure. and we partied really really hard and we I, I had sex with a different girl probably every single weekend and I thought how good's this life's great and then when he moved on got a girlfriend and you know, moved on with his life. It just right. hit me, and I it I was completely fucked. And that was in two thousand and twelve. And ever since then, I've just really, really, really battled to the point where it's been debilitating every single day. So it got to the point where it just spread to every facet of my life. And I used to love teaching. Yeah. And a year ago, for two reasons. One reason, a year year nine boy that I used to teach committed suicide and. About two months after that, I just decided that if I want to stay alive, and that's the truth, yep. that I needed to stop being a teacher. I need to take some time out for myself and sure, and just work on myself. Sure. So I'll, I'll reiterate at this point, and I, I'll, I have said this in I said this in the intro that some of the the, the discussion today will be uh, uh, heavier than than our normal podcast, but. And so for those who may not want to listen to it, maybe now's a good time to switch off or change, listen to something else. But I do think that there is going to be, as part of this discussion, something very worthwhile. So I yep. would encourage people to stay tuned yep. in. So leaving teaching, obviously a very big decision, yep. massive decision, because did you have anything planned to go to or? No, I just decided. Just decided so that was it. I had a suicide attempt. Yep probably three months prior to that. And then one of my mates actually at school, he said, mate, you need to stop doing this because yeah. you need to stay alive. Yep. And if you stay here, you won't stay alive. And I said, mate, I can't afford to. And he said, yeah. it doesn't matter if you can't afford to, you have to stop. So he was also a reason why I stopped and... Stopped teaching. Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask you a question, um, maybe away from teaching? So you, you said you had a suicide attempt and I, like I don't know if it's helpful to go into the details of that because I don't see the value of it but well, look uh, what i wanted to actually ask is for myself hearing that that's quite a very it's quite a difficult thing to hear because i'm sitting here looking at you and i'm talking to you um do, how do you because i almost don't know what to say when someone says that and you're not the first person who's ever said that to me before um and i when someone has said that to me in the past i i really didn't know what to say i almost just said you'll be right yeah. and i think that's as good as it got from me and it's not something I'm proud of but I didn't know yeah. how to respond I don't now so do you have like what would be helpful in those circumstances if someone heard what you're, you've just said like do you have any sort of thoughts about what would actually yeah. help I think that we're never 
Suicide's not reported on the news. No. As a school teacher, I'm told, don't ever mention the word suicide. So suicide is an ugly word which we don't speak about. So the fact that you didn't know what to say is completely normal and most yeah. people don't know what to say. But I think for me, I don't want someone to try and give me advice and try and fix me. I don't want someone to... I don't need anyone to do anything. I just need someone to just go, look, I'm really, really sorry and I don't understand, but if you do need anything, please let me know. And there are a lot of people that have said that to me, but there's also a lot of people that aren't genuine in saying that. So unless it's something that you think you can do and you can be there for someone, then you shouldn't say that. But I think just to say to someone that, you know, look, I'm really sorry that that has happened to you, I think that's all you can really say. There's not much else you can do, to be honest. I've heard you speak before and you've said that some people respond and say to you, um, I, I don't actually know what to say because they're not equipped, as you've said, yep. to, to deal with that sort of situation. And I heard you say that that's even good in itself because it's the truth then and you know they're being genuine yep. because they're not in a position to provide assistance or they don't actually know what to do. Yeah. And you're right, like suicide isn't something that is talked about, nor is it reported. Like, I mean, we had someone in the building where I used to work who jumped and um, not reported nothing. Like, there were police and ambulance and fire trucks sealing off the street for hours to sort what happened out. And it was never mentioned, it was never talked about. And it was a guy, I know that. Um, but... I, I just think that it doesn't look i understand the rationale in parts behind not discussing it but i also think that there it does a disservice to the people who are heading in that direction that aren't uh there yet but do have that ideation or do talk about it or think about it um because it can be i would imagine very lonely or isolating does that make sense 100 yeah. percent. yeah right um, so teaching, you left teaching, and I, I'm, I just sort of, I'm, I'm trying to keep chronologically in my mind because, so you left teaching. What was next for you? Like, what came next? So you got into that mental health space, basically, or you obviously took some time off to, well, reset yourself. For, so I've been, for the best part of a decade, I've been experiencing really, really terrible anxiety on a daily yeah. basis where yeah. I don't get much of a break. So. About seven years ago, I thought, you know what, why don't I start posting about how I feel on Facebook? So yep. I started just writing posts about how I feel and what people might be able to do to help other people. And when I started to get really anxious, I was looking at kids that I, teach, I was teaching. So I was teaching you 10, 11, 12 kids and the kids I was te that I was teaching were smart kids. And I thought, yeah. surely some of these kids are experiencing some <coughs> type of stress, anxiety or whatever. Yeah. So I just... As a part of my lesson once a week for 20 minutes with each class, I just started telling them about myself and about the fact that I was struggling badly and that if they ever needed to talk, then I would be completely happy to talk to them. And I didn't expect anything from it. I didn't expect the kids to take me up on that. But, you know, in the weeks following when I first started, and I did it for years, yeah, I would have kids knock on the, on the door of the staff room and I'd have kids approach me in the playground and the amount of kids just at one school of 1,200 kids that approached me was, you know, in the hundreds, to be honest. You're joking. No. And then when the year That's 12, hundreds of people and yeah. they're not talking about it openly at all. Well, they said to me, they said, 
most of them, not all of them, most of them, I said, well, you should speak to the school psychologist or the wow. school counsellor. And they said, we don't want to because they won't tell us anything about themselves. And you've actually been honest and told us about you. And I feel comfortable talking to you. And that made actually made me feel good because I was struggling, but it also made me feel like if I keep doing this, then I can help younger people that aren't Massively. taught how to deal with their emotions. I, Look, I never had a teacher do that for me growing up uh, and I think it would have been beneficial because I think it would have meant that I felt some connection to them. And I also think that there's – I want to talk to you about this later about psychologists and psychiatrists. Um, I also think that having someone open up and be vulnerable, reveal themselves struggling, that genuineness, that shared experience actually helps people to maybe – be brave enough to come forward themselves like for young kids too in a young boys school yep. yeah it's tough mate like i mean i say this to all the kids that i teach that i wish that i had someone when i was maybe 15 yeah come to my school or one of my teachers say to me i'm battling with this mm. because at when i was a kid i stressed about everything yeah i worried about school i worried about football i had anxiety about everything but i thought that i was the only person that was experiencing that because i grew up in a time i'm 40 years young now <laughs> and i grew up in a time where i had amazing parents but doesn't look 40 there listeners. was thank you yeah i stayed out of the sun <laughs> i i wasn't spoken to about feelings because it just wasn't something that was spoken about in the in the late 80s and early 90s it just wasn't a part of the, it's the landscape not, no it wasn't like i'm 35 it wasn't for me either like no one talks he looks older <laughs> i'm joking <laughs> mate it's all the extra weight i'm carrying i've got to be honest i had cash the chips on the way over i didn't mean that two dollars <laughs> you can't beat it <laughs> oh, i keep getting told i've got a baby face when i'm not so fat so I'm you're beautiful gonna, oh, thanks mate i appreciate that so you've talked about this before you actually had quite a, a good childhood you said because yeah. so and this is the interesting thing i think that some people don't appreciate that Anxiety doesn't, um, and mental health problems in general, they don't just pick people who come from low socioeconomic or underprivileged or divorced families. It strikes everyone. Yep. You had a great childhood, you said, and yep. loving parents yep. and fantastic. So it can really hit anyone. Can I ask back to that school where you opened up to the students? I think that's incredible because yep. I, I wouldn't have known a teacher to have done that. I gotta be honest. The school I went to, our teachers were making racist jokes, mate. Like so, because like that was two thousand or ninety eight. That was the time. Like that's how it was. So no one was talking about feelings. Mm. How did you? Did you? Were you worried at all about consequences for yourself? Like were you worried about like uh, leadership at the school finding out or being concerned about what you were doing? Because it's clearly not part of the curriculum. Did that ever enter your mind? It has not ever entered my mind until you just mentioned it no not right. not once and i was telling i told my head of the head of the, the head of the maths department that i was doing it and he said mate more power to you i really appreciate you doing that you're helping the boys and i if someone had to come to me or the principal had said you know what you're doing you shouldn't be doing then i i would have left i wouldn't have because i felt what i was doing was way more important than teaching expanding brackets and factorizing <laughs> Oh, talk to me, mate. <laughs> I can't tell you how excited and I am. And I honestly found that yeah. the kids' grades improved because the kids wanted to, like, as a rugby player, when you've got a coach that you would do anything for, you play harder. Yeah. And these kids, because they respected me, because I was honest with them and didn't lie to them, mm. 
I did tell them a lie. I told them I had one wallaby cap. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they said, we can check that. I said, boys, that was pre-internet days, oh. so you can't check it. <laughs> but You're a tourist. <laughs> <laughs> Went on a wallaby tour, yeah, but yeah, I didn't get a game. Yeah. And <laughs> I found their marks were getting better and the parents were coming to me saying, you know, my boy's improving and... I think it was to do with the fact, not that I was good at what I did as a teacher, but I was an open and honest and was talking about raw things. Yeah, that's incredible. Like we, we, like I said, we just never had that. And it would have been such a difference to me to know that other people were going through what I um, experienced growing up. Like so, and we were talking off air earlier, like I find it sometimes difficult to talk to people that I don't know. And that's a natural feeling for most people. I think everyone suffers with that to some degree. Yeah. Um, obviously, uh, some are better than others. But mine gets to the point where I often think about not going to places or not doing things, and I don't. So, like, in the past, I've, like, cancelled on parties and because mm. I just don't want to be. Yeah. But I know that if I had have had someone as a teacher or another student talking to me growing up and said, oh, I feel this way or I share your view or I'm struggling too, it would have made the world of a dif- like the world a difference to me. It would have been so powerful. I think it would have helped you come uh, to the point where you could talk about it openly and sort of, I don't know, deal with it a bit. Yeah. Does that make sense? 100%. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, right. I, that's amazing that you didn't even think about what anyone else at the school would think. But I guess that's and what no it one is. ever it's said important. anything to me. Yeah, right. No one, ever. That's unbelievable. So you left teaching, you do tutoring and stuff like that, but you also then started that uh, – so you've started a business called The Mental Health Mentor. Mental Health Mentor. I'll yep. say, that slowly, say that slowly. You started that business, and do you want to maybe just talk about what it is that you do there? Yep. So because you've got a website and we'll provide all the links to the show notes and stuff like that. But yep. So like I was saying before, when the boys were leaving year 12, they'd yeah. all ask to add me on Facebook. And originally when I first started teaching there, I didn't. But after I started talking to them, I just went, yep, I'll add them. They're finished year 12, that's cool. And again, the amount of kids that still to this day, who I taught five, six years ago, that still message me and say, hey, Sipes, I'm struggling with this. My breakup with my girlfriend, it's causing me anxiety. And from that, I decided that I, want, I wanted to help kids, yeah, boys, because I've generally only taught boys and I understand boys. Yep. And I decided that I wanted to do it more formally. So I'm not qualified in any sense. I did study psychology for a year when I was in the UK and I taught it, but I'm not qualified in any sense, in any textbook sense, but I, I believe that I can tell my story to kids. And what I do is if I'm seeing a, a boy, for example... I'll say to them, how do you want this to go? Rather than going to a psychologist and they tell you how it's going to go, I say, how do you want this to go? And they say, well, I just want you to tell uh, tell me about you. So most of the time I'll just talk about myself for an hour and talk about my situation and where I'm at and I'll be honest with you, mm. 100% of the time I've done that, every single boy has told me everything, just opened up completely and told me stuff that he said that he's never told a person. So I think the the effectiveness of telling a story, a real story about struggle is really, really powerful. That's genuine. Yep. It's not contrived. Yep. It's not a scripted. Yep. That must be amazing, that sort of feeling of having people come to you to open up as well, to talk about the work that you're doing and how much it helps them. It's hard because I've got anxiety. And yeah, absolutely. Some of the things that they tell me yep. are hard to hear. Yeah. But 
I know that I'm helping Definitely. in some way. So that's why I do it. And I most of the time I don't charge them. Yeah. Because at the moment I don't need the money and it's I've I've always yeah. been the sort of person that's not that interested in creating wealth. So I just I, I like to help people. I always have and yeah, it just makes me feel better about myself as well. So how long like do you still have boys contacting you from school now? Even do you like do you still regularly get people talking to you outside of Yeah, outside of one or two a week easily. Really? From Villa. You're joking. Yeah, <laughs> no, you can keep it in. No, no. Yeah, no, one or two a week, and I've created some. So my first year at Villanova was 2011, and I've created some amazing friendships from that. Yeah, and they originally reached out to me, and I had my 40th birthday party a couple of weeks ago, and I invited these. Yeah, what I call kids, but they're men now to my yeah. birthday party, and I used to teach them. So yeah, yeah. wow, that's um, <clears throat> massive, mate. One of the things I um, that struck me when you were talking then was that you don't have formal qualifications as such, but in my experience, that's not necessarily the worst thing. So, dear listener, this isn't medical advice. Go see a professional. <laughs> but by the same token, I think that um, that lived experience does create again that shared sort of connection and it does enable boys to and people to open up a lot more um have you ever thought about working with females or is that something that just because you you sort of don't have that exposure it's not something that you do i i do speak do? to yeah. i have worked with two girls i think they were 17 or 18 and yeah it was fine, fine. it was easy yep. and they were really forthcoming with information, much more than boys were. Like, yeah. I told them some stuff about me and they were just ready to talk straight away, while as the boys it takes a little bit more to get out of. So, yep. look, I'm happy working with girls and if if, if and our family comes to me and says, you know, my daughter's struggling with this and I'm more than happy to help, it's just that I suppose I've always worked with boys and I that's just what I'm used to, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, boys are probably uh, a little bit less forthcoming and a little bit maybe more guarded but i do think that boys are it's something that's not necessarily talked about in society enough the the challenges and the struggles that young men face i yep. think it's astronomical and i think uh, this is just my view tell me if i'm right or wrong in your eyes but uh, i also think that young men from sort of even very young like kids have lost a little bit of their identity and what it means to be a bloke and I know some people will say that's a cop-out and, oh, well, whatever, mate. But I, I do also think that there's an element of truth in that. Like, it, it's what it means to be a man is changing. Yep. And, and for the better, too, like, okay. because there are some behaviours that need to change. But I also think that if that's happening, there's not necessarily a roadmap for young boys to follow and to understand what it takes to be an adult. I don't know about you. I never had anyone to sort of guide me. Like I'm the oldest child of four, so I never had any blueprint. And I certainly didn't fit in at the school I went to, so I, I never had that sort of role model or guidance. Did you have anyone? Not really? No, I moulded my behaviour off my older brother. Yeah, right. And he was pretty naughty, so that probably wasn't great. <laughs> but never was I taught it at school and... 
never have I ever seen it taught at schools now. We don't speak to boys about masculinity and, you know, the role of being a man in today's society, which, like you said, has changed. It's the curriculum is so jam-packed and there is so much that we need to teach the kids that we actually aren't teaching them the stuff that is... Important. Exactly, important. The, The stuff that matters. So we don't... As a teacher, like, how much time would you have to be able to devote to discussing with boys openly just some of the challenges around that mental health space. Like how much time a week would you have? So for me, generally I, I wouldn't Sweet have any, all. but I'd make it the time. Right, okay. Because I'd just like miss parts of the curriculum yeah, yeah, and yeah. just go from there and then just <laughs> not include that in the test. <laughs> but they basically get so high school boys would get an hour a week in a form meeting and in a form meeting they're not going to be talking about that because they're talking about camps, they're talking about grades, they're talking about things like that we have 15 minutes with them at the start of class at the start of school before class starts but that's for role marking so to be honest schools don't have any time to do it high schools there's no time none at all seems so counterintuitive like especially when you see mental health declining rapidly across society that we haven't yet connected the dots that something needs to happen um before do you know what i mean before they reach adolescence and before they hit society like it almost feels like um uh, i sort of am nervous sometimes wading into climate change or any of those sorts of issues but like we're happy to talk about climate change at school we're happy to talk about all of these sort of causes but mental health maybe doesn't get the recognition or the the time it deserves and with good mental health everything else flows well anyway so you probably can make better decisions around the climate and whatever else. Apparently they do do things in in primary school, but right. there's a new Australian curriculum. And so what I did is I went through the entire Australian curriculum in every single subject and from years 1 to 12. And yeah. I saw very little evidence of mental health being addressed formally. So even though schools say they are doing things, all I ever saw in nine years at my school was a guy come in once a year to talk about drugs and alcohol. The first thing he says, and they paid this guy big dollars, first thing he says is, I've never touched drugs or alcohol, but I'm going to tell you everything about it. Oh, Jesus. And the only other thing they I ever saw done at a boys' school that I taught at was driver safety, which I think is really important. But there was yeah. never a discussion about mental health and, you know, meditation, which I'd really love to talk about. Absolutely. Yeah. So can I ask then, so what would you change about the curriculum? And so you're talking about meditation would be one thing, but if you, if uh, I was going to say Malcolm Turnbull, if ScoMo came to you and said, Chris, you've got a magic wand, yep. let's, I'm going to give you whatever you want to change the curriculum, what would you put in there? What would you do differently? Can I just talk yeah. quickly before yeah. go, kids go, 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 get go. to school? I think firstly, and you know, people may not agree with this, but I think firstly... Adults need to be having kids for the right reasons and they're not. And if adults have kids for the right reasons, they need to start teaching and it's something that needs to be taught. It's not something that you just pick up. They need to be taught how to be resilient and how to deal with stress and how to talk about their feelings. One of my very good friends in Hong Kong, his kids are so young and I've never seen this done by parents, but they're amazing. Every time they come home from school, they go, how do you feel? What was your day like? Oh, how did that make you feel? And everything's about how they feel. Mm. And at first I thought, this is a bit strange. But after a while I thought, these kids are going to be so in tune with 
being able to deal with their emotions when they're 15 than anyone that I ever know would be. And so that would be the first thing. But in terms of schools, something that saved my life is meditation. And I know not many people really meditate, but I often say this to the boys too. If someone had to come to me even as late as 15 and said, if you meditate, if you formally meditate and all it is is closing your eyes and concentrating on your breath, that's all it is. If you do that for five minutes a day for the rest of your life, your life will be dramatically improved. And trust me, I know because I've been mm. doing it now for six months for three, four hours a day. It is... Well, the difference. It has stopped my suicidal thoughts enormously. Yeah. And I think that meditation is something that needs to be taught to everyone in schools and that I think won't fix everything but it will go a long way to solving a lot of stress-related and anxiety-related and depression-related issues. It's interesting, like I, I don't disagree with you. I've read plenty about meditation being outstanding for you and I, I meditate sometimes before I try to, before I go to bed and I've got one of those Fitbits and I actually watch my heart rate not while I'm meditating, but I watch my heart rate drop when yep. I am and you do feel calmer and more centred a little bit after you've, you've done it. And granted, I'm only doing 15 minutes, like I'm not doing hours, but I, I find meditation one of those things that is so counter to the world we live in. Like everything is so fast-paced. Everything happens now. You know, You don't wait for anything. Our lives are so full. We've got distractions everywhere, phones, Facebook, Insta. So meditation seems contrary to what the direction we're heading in, but is absolutely so important. I could not agree with you more on that. And if we could somehow jam that into the curriculum where kids are doing it for even five minutes a day. Yep. You do your five you can minutes. easily do that. Well, like every day at, at the prep my daughter goes to, they do an acknowledgement of country and that's great, but they could also do an acknowledgement of their own meditation as well. Like, I mean, I don't think that would be too difficult and I think the benefits would be amazing for them. What else? would Are there other things, like in your experience with the work you're doing now, are there other things that you think would be good to um, put into the curriculum or put into practice for kids growing up? other than meditation like you're talking about resilience training we uh the school my daughter goes to it's just a public school but they do focus on resilience training which is good too that aspect of identifying your emotions and understanding having some insight into yourself and what triggers you maybe and then working with that that might be mm, i just good. think that the younger you get kids understanding that what's going on in their head is yeah normal Yep. And the fact that they're stressing is normal and the fact that they might have a bit of anxiety is normal and the sooner you start to talk about that, I think the easier it is to resolve problems. I went for 33 years without talking to anyone. I never addressed anything with my wife because I, I didn't want to upset her. So Yeah, right. And I only started talking seven years ago and if I had been doing it from the age of 10... I wouldn't be where I, I – 100% no, I wouldn't be where I am right now. Communication's obviously a key there. We, but we don't teach kids how to speak to each other either. No. Like, I mean, obviously outside of the, the bounds of manners and being respectful, we don't – I wish someone had taught me how to talk to a girl when <laughs> I was younger too because I used to stand at school dances in the corner <laughs> like a loser. Me too, mate. We were doing all boys' school, so you sat there. 
If some of my oh, mates would be carving it. it up and I'd just yeah. be standing in the corner going, I just, my anxiety's so bad. I can't. <laughs> and all the girls would go, you're arrogant, Chris. I'm, like, I'm not, I'm just a loser. I'm not arrogant, I'm scared. I'm scared shitless. Is my fly undone? What's going on? Can I? <laughs> Mate, that's the story of my childhood. I always was the same. Um, you were talking then about, um, uh, like, communication is obviously a really um, important part. We don't teach young people how to communicate really. We, we sort of basically just skirt around it. It's something that you that's a given. But clearly if you were open and willing to listen and you taught kids that from a young age, it'd be enormously beneficial. Like, as you said, you wouldn't be in the position you're in. I wouldn't be where I'm in. A lot of people would be a lot better off if they obviously learnt those skills earlier. It's amazing that it's not part of the curriculum, really. It's funny, too, because another thing we don't do is... So I'll teach a kid maths for eight weeks and then I'll say, righto, study. And they look at you and they go, how do I do that? Yeah. Never taught me how to do that. And we don't. There's no... I've never seen in any school an active process where you teach kids how to study for a test. And it's just the things that would make kids' grades improve, talking about mental health would make their mental health improve, but we just don't do it. Do you know... I'm not actually taking the piss. I didn't know how to study until I hit end of second year uni. <laughs> so I got through school, barely, and then I went to uni and I did my first two years and I was like, this is insane. I don't know how. This is so crazy. I failed my first law subject, torts. <laughs> you were able to plagiarise back then without yeah. getting into trouble. So. <laughs> Mate. <laughs> I just looked at the next stone tablet and just copied his. Now, um... Man, I didn't know until I was second year and I finally, it clicked and I got it. But like I used to remember at school, you're right, I remember growing up at school, they said study and I would go, what yeah. are you talking about? Like, yeah. I've already read it. Like, yeah. what more do I need to do? But yeah. if someone had showed you how to yeah. do it, and you know what I find is interesting too, we don't at school teach to the different, well, it struck me that when I was at school, we didn't. I don't know what it's like now, but we didn't teach to the different ways in which kids learn. We don't make any accommodation for different learning styles. Like some kids are so tactile and they have to be hands-on, whereas there's others, their audio, they can hear it and they understand it. Visual, they understand it. Like that's just crazy. That mm. And, you know, that would contribute, I would imagine, in part to people's mental health problems at school because you go, well, I'm not a person who can read it and just remember. Yeah. I'm someone who needs to listen to it a few times, let it sink in, play it on repeat. So true. It's crazy. I, I, I was just, I, I always think about that because um, I, I've been thinking about it a lot lately because of my middle child, he's four. The teacher was saying he's the brightest kid at kindy. And I was like, oh, how good. This little fucking <laughs> he's river. Yeah, he's the king. <laughs> but she said, he's not socially ready at all. We don't recommend he goes to school to prep next year. And I was like, he's a genius. Like, what's going on? And they said, no, no, socially he's just not there. And they said he doesn't interact well. He doesn't do a whole heap of things that are – because he's young. He's really young for that age group. He's right at the end. But you just sort of think there's a way of teaching him. There'll be a way of getting through to him. And that's kind of what made me think about it. There's a way of getting through to him that'll make him learn and be good. Yeah. Because my, uh, my wife's uh, – so my brother-in-law, really super smart guy, is a roofer, but, like, says he's dumb, but he's not at all, mate. Like, he, oh, I know him. And he goes, oh, I failed subjects at school. And you think, 
bro, you are as smart as any lawyer I know, any doctor I know, but you just somehow you didn't, no one identified how to get through to you at school. Mm. It's 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 so hard. The fact that you 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 point out that yeah, being a primary school teacher, everyone thinks would be such a easy job. But no way. being a primary school teacher, you're teaching from one end of the spectrum to the other, and oh. you're catering for all different types of learning. And to be honest, I was lucky. I taught really smart kids in high level maths, and they basically all learnt the same way. So I didn't really have to think about that. Yeah, to right. be honest. So yep. And I, I don't know what the answer is there because no, no, no. You know, there's only so many hours in the day. There's only so many hours kids go to school. It's yeah. It uh, is interesting that school sort of environment and that educational environment. Like, does it need to be looked at again? Um, do you know it's funny because like this is sort of off topic, but now that COVID's hit, I was talking to someone recently and they said, "Do you think the world will change? Do you think people's attitudes to things will change? Do you think?" People's outlook on life will change. And my first inclination was yes, because people will be shocked enough to go, what we're doing isn't good. Like, And I bet you've changed your thoughts now. Completely. Same. I, so I was really optimistic because I thought, because I'll be honest, before COVID hit, I was of the view that like this world we live in is just, like there's some beautiful aspects to it. But this rat race of nine to five, or it's more than nine to five, it's seven to six and you're on the train for an hour and you think, this isn't fucking life. Like, this is terrible. And I was really positive that COVID would change it. And then by the end of the podcast with him, I was like, you know what? I don't think it will. I think we'll just keep pushing ahead, which is crazy because you'd think that you'd like to have thought that someone would have taken a breath and looked at the education system again and, and every system and gone, righto, let's recalibrate. We've been at home for a while. Kids have been outside of the classroom. Can we do this better? Mm. Yeah, that's uh, amazing. I was quite optimistic too when the whole world slowed down for a while and I thought this is good for the world. Mm. Obviously, the virus wasn't good, but it's good that everyone gets a chance to slow down. But yeah. then in Queensland, when it all lifted, it just went bang, straight back, and everyone's back to doing exactly what they're doing. So I was the same. I was really optimistic at the start and now I'm just... Well, it's back to the way it was and that's the way it's going to be. Yeah, unless it really hits badly again or or the economy is destroyed because they keep us locked down and no one can do anything. Can I ask you, so you transitioned out of school. So what made you go, like you sort of talked about it before. So you went into this new venture and this new space. And I'm not calling it a venture because it's a commercial opportunity for you because you're not doing it like that clearly. Yeah you're doing it to really help people. It was because of young boys that were reaching out to you. Did you have any intention when you left school to do this or it was something that just sort of organically happened? No, when I left school, it was survival. Yeah. I was, I'm out of here, I need to look after myself. And then I was still posting, obviously, because yeah. that's what I do to communicate. Because yep. to be honest, with my anxiety, I feel most comfortable alone. Right. And when I'm around people, I, I do feel uncomfortable and anxious. Not all the time, but I do. So I do a lot of – I meditate at home a lot by myself. I'm at home a lot by myself. I spend a lot of time by myself. So I post a lot and I just found kids continuing to message me saying thank you so much. Not even asking for help, but just saying thank you so much for yeah. making it real for other people and helping other people. And it, I was just 
maybe I can do something here where I can actually physically talk to a kid one-on-one for a, for an hour and a half and yep. I don't watch the clock and yeah so I just decided I got a mate who did me up a website and I just went from there and I had lots of people contact people from all over Australia contacted me so so do you do workshops and seminars now and like in addition to your one-on-one stuff I do some I think that I'm a pretty good person uh, pretty good public speaker so yeah. I do I do some public speaking engagements with some companies and the feedback that I've had has been pretty good. Yep. I got a mate who has a, a meetup group and I did one for him once. That was my first outing and yep. I had people crying in the Jesus. in the in the audience and I was thinking, fuck, I must be doing a pretty shit job here. They're <laughs> crying. But then I had women come up to me oh, it's resonating. telling me that one woman in particular, she was about sixty and she said, I've got PTSD and I've never told anyone. But I wanted to tell you and I was like, wow. And I had other women just saying that they were struggling so much and hearing me talk, it makes them want to go out and get help. And I was just, this is pretty cool. What does that feel like? I've because And so I don't say that from like some voyeuristic point of view. <laughs> I, but that must be the most um, gratifying feeling. Even if you, like you said before, some of it is tough to listen to. Mm. But it must be amazing to know that you've helped someone, I don't know, uh, take that first yeah. step along their journey. Yeah. It's satisfying. But as you know, with mental yeah. illness, it's short-lived. And I very quickly go back to, yep. for example, after talking to that woman, I did have a little bit of a feeling of euphoria. And then yeah. driving home in the car, I was my brain was saying, when's the anxiety coming back? And then before you, I got home, there it was again. So... It's a short-lived yeah. sort of feeling, but I do – it does – yeah, it, it. I suppose it will help me in time and the more I do it and the more I meditate and the more I, I work on myself, so, yeah. So you publish a lot of stuff on your Facebook page and that's actually what sort of – when I was doing my stalking, I was – I looked at it. stalk females, don't oh, you? So, no, <laughs> no, if my wife's listening, I never – No, no, no. <laughs> well, they've taken that thing off uh, – Instagram now, where you used to be able to see people that you used to look at, they took oh, that really? off. Yeah. Oh, see, I'm not. So okay. creeps like us can get away <laughs> with stuff. <laughs> just, just a disclaimer. So I don't. I'm on Instagram, but my wife actually uses my account to post stuff because I don't know what's going on on Instagram. Man, I can barely use Facebook, as we talked about off air this morning. I couldn't work out how to do some stuff and made a mistake. Um. But you you post on Facebook and you post so openly. Like I would encourage people who are listening to this and and have a chance. Go have a look at Chris's page and I'll put a link to it. But there are some really open stuff. And I've got to be honest, I actually asked Foles, our our, our, our sort of mate, is Chris okay? Because I didn't – So as I said, I I knew you through rugby but I didn't know you well. And and so when I saw your Facebook post, I was like, oh, my God, like he's – is Chris okay? And Foles said, no, no, this is him. He, I think he uses it as a mechanism to sort of mm. talk through it and and to talk it through for himself. I think Foles was tr- basically trying to say it's for your own benefit but for others too. It's to yeah. dual purpose because yeah. it's really quite open and it's not common. I don't see people do that often, I've got to be honest. And yeah. that's actually why I reached out to you because, again, I said in, in our sort of – when I reached out, people don't do that. People don't, and I think it's valuable. Like, 
I saw it and it moved me to reach out to you to say, mm. um, well done, mate. Thanks, like, mate. Good on you for doing it because you just know there are so many people that are struggling um, and they don't say anything. Like, perfect example is that Dan Vickerman. You remember him, the rugby yeah. player? Yeah. Terrific. Bro, like, he mm. was Oxford, Cambridge I or know. whatever it was, yeah. world at his feet and yeah. out of nowhere. I know. Bang, and you just think... If only people had a known and been able to talk to him about it and talk about it with like, it might have made a difference. That's the thing too. He's a big mon- He's a six yeah. foot ten masculine man that played for his country, and you know, he's not allowed to. You know, I'm not saying he's not allowed to, but it's seen. It still is seen as a weakness for a for a grown adult male to talk yeah. about his emotions, even though it's even though we're doing it better. It's still, you know. People say to me and have said to me all the time, you know, you need to stop doing that. Like I'll get posts, I'll get a lot of posts, not negative ones, but comments saying to me, you know, you need to stop doing this because you're not doing yourself any favours and things like that, which just basically shows you that people aren't ready to hear it or or to talk about it. But what, like, what do they mean, or like, I I don't know if you follow up with them, what do they mean you're not doing yourself any favours? Like, I have, I often have people telling me, what you need to do, Chris, is write a gratitude journal. And I <laughs> so if you write three things a day that you're grateful for, you your anxiety will disappear. And it's just people that don't understand. It's from people that don't understand what it's like to actually survive to to battle to s- survive every day. Yeah, right. People that, that people that write that stuff don't understand. And I don't hold grudges, and I don't I don't get upset with that anymore. I used to, but I don't anymore because I just know that they're just they haven't been there, so they don't know any better yeah it's one of those sort of like i talked about it before those professional people they have certain instructions that they give you yeah um that may not necessarily work in practice yeah they don't hold water yeah because i was told once by someone to because i've got self like self-confidence and so that sort of is wrapped up with my inability and anxiety about like to talk to people and they said, stand in the mirror and say you love yourself and you're a good person three times a day. And I was like, I don't even – I laughed at the concept. And then I – the person said to me, do it now. And I said, I, I can't even say it. Like, I can't say it. It's so ridiculous. And then yeah. when I tried doing it, I was like, oh, this is just crazy. I can't yeah. do this. So yeah. I, I actually think truly, <laughs> like, if I was – if I wound back the clock five years ago for me – and I still talk to that person. I've still got a very good relationship with them because I love them as a person. But I probably would find your Facebook post more helpful, like, because it's real. Again, it's real. It's genuine. It's not contrived. It's not a textbook. Mm. So the work you do, you're also not just hosting, uh, you're not just engaged in seminars and workshops. You were saying you're involved with Are You OK Day as well. Yeah. How'd you get involved with that? I got a friend that, I went to she went to the sister school yeah. to my to my school and yep. we finished year twelve together and she just she watches my stuff and she reached out and she works in mental health and she said, Oh, we can get you to, to speak at Are You OK Day and and she said it's a webinar this year and there's like hundred and fifty businesses or commercial people that are gonna be there. So do you wanna do it? And I said, Yep. Yeah. And the only problem with that was that they wanted something really formal and uh PowerPoint and statistics and things and I said to I spoke to the lady who runs it and I said look this is what I'll give you 
I'll give you an honest account of what life can be like for someone who struggles and I can give all the people in the audience an insight into how you can survive that and how you can, even though each day you still struggle, you can make yourself better and improve. And she said, yep, get rid of the PowerPoint. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about the statistics. Just You can just talk. So I took it from a really formal thing to an informal thing and that's how I, that's how I connect with people. How good. Yeah, so... Be good. When does that happen? Next month, the tenth, I think. I think it's Are You Okay Day. Can the listeners, uh, like, can I, uh, can I steal some details? How, if people were interested in looking, could they log on to that webinar? And I'd honestly don't, don't know. Don't know. Anyway, yeah. It, yeah. I'll find out, and if yeah. I, when I yeah. sort this out, we'll put it up. Mm. Can I ask you a question? Um, no. no. <laughs> See, <you>, Dave. <laughs> can I ask you? So. You like I've we've talked about some stuff with your business. Um, I don't business is the wrong term, but you know what I mean. Do you learn anything about yourself during these sessions? Like, are they illuminating for you too? The work that you're doing with others, like when you talk to someone individually or through a group session, do you find you learn anything about yourself? Like, is there something that in talking to others? you almost unlock a little piece of your own mind a little bit sometimes. Does that ever happen? Yeah, I think what you said before we press play was, you know, if you, if something makes you uncomfortable, then yeah. you should do it because it's going to help you grow. And so that's probably what I have learned is in everything I do, yeah. and especially talking to young boys and some of the stuff, you know, I've spoken to a boy who found his brother dead from... From a heroin overdose, I spoke to another boy who yeah. who found his brother had died from alcohol. Christ. So I've heard some pretty, you know, full-on things, but yeah. and they make me very anxious. But yep. I come out of it and I I try not to, to take it on board as such, but I think every time I continue to make myself feel uncomfortable, which I do all the time anyway, but yeah. I think the easier it will get, and I am finding that, the longer I do it, it is the anticipatory anxiety is getting a little bit less and I'm feeling less anxious throughout and I feel like I'm more present when I'm not as anxious, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. You de- the, the more present when you're not anxious part makes a lot of sense to me because I find that anticipatory stuff is where I get anxiety. Isn't it's it? the oh. the what ifs, the oh. hypotheticals, and you just can't switch your brain off. Like you ruined my rugby career, mate. I would have <laughs> been a wallaby great if I didn't have that. If you would have gone more than that one tour, you would have been <laughs> a regular. And you can't centurion. check this. You can't check this on the internet because these are pre-internet days, mate. That, that's the story of my life. Like I said, like yeah. I get so nervous about talking to people, and you think. But now that I'm here talking to you, and we were talking about this earlier, we both feel comfortable. Yeah, no sweat. Oh, it's like, great. It's fine, yeah. but yeah. The the concept of having to go out and do that, I know, and 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 it's I, I think that's uh, to put it in a context that people might understand who don't suffer anxiety as a an everyday thing. Maybe think about it like public speaking. Most people have a fear of public speaking. Yep. Well, I think that that's probably what people with anxiety have, but in way more like a lot of facets of their life, and it's yep. dialed up a fair bit, yep. like. Yeah, pretty conscious of. Do you remember at school when you had to do a, an oral? Yeah, and it was you for a week. You'd be dreading it. It oh. was the worst experience of your life. And 100%. then you get up there and your face would be bright red, and yeah. your voice would change, 
and you Hello. just perform poorly. Yeah. That's what our lives are like. <laughs> I'm here to talk about Phil's gold. <laughs> Mate, that's a, that's a story. Like, truly, though, like when I was at uni, I would be on the train going in for an exam. I'd be, like, physically ill. Like, yeah. I'd almost yeah. cry. The, yeah. the, I've got to say this. <laughs> this is off topic, but... This one day we did a trust a trust law exam and we we walked in and there was two hours it was open book so like I don't know why this dude <laughs> did what he did but he gets in and he just goes fuck this closes the book closes his bad and just sits there for two hours he just didn't write a thing because he's obviously <laughs> got no idea looked at the <laughs> questions and just goes fuck <laughs> this <laughs> I'll never forget it because I was so nervous about trusts because. They're not easy to understand still now, let alone when you're actually... Did he <laughs> pass the degree? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wouldn't have a clue. I, actually, the funny thing is I'd never seen that guy before. You see people in various classes, you might be with them for property and then not again for another one, but I'd never seen him before and he walked in and he clearly wasn't having a bar of that subject. <laughs> He's now Brisbane's highest paid lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> He's the attorney general. That's the scariest part. <laughs> it's people like that that get the really good gigs. <laughs> He's going to be the next Chief Justice. Um, can I go, can I touch on, um, I realise this is more personal stuff than what we've sort of been talking about. About, like, so I, I sort of sent through some stuff to you about your specific experiences with mental health. Yeah. Like, you said you started experiencing anxiety as a child. Yeah. Do you remember it vividly? Or do you just think you were anxious and it was there in hindsight? Like, do you look back and it was there in hindsight? Or do you remember growing up and vividly thinking, Christ, I'm anxious, like I'm... Yeah, I just... That was it, yeah. Yeah, I worried about everything from a very young age. Yeah, right. Just a constant worry about anything I had to do. Yeah, right. Yeah, from a really young age. Was it something that progressed in severity? Or was it, like, has, it, has yours always been static at the level it is now or was it something that was much less when you were younger? No, it was a lot less. When I was 20, I went on a medication for the first time and right. the medication that I took seemed to help for 12 or 13 years but then when the marriage broke up and I had to, you know, move on and get on with my life, things yep. just ramped up. I, the only way I can explain it is it was literally 10 out of 10, fear and dread all day every day until... It was time. Dear listener, we just paused. I just had to go to the bathroom and blow my nose. It is not a bag problem. It's <laughs> a sinus issue. <laughs> just in case you're wondering. Um, so, yeah, you were a young child and you always remember having that level of anxiety. Yeah. And then you were saying that you uh, started taking some medication at 20, but then uh, on a marriage breakdown, it sort of got worse. Yeah. Um, has it ever abated back to pre-marriage breakdown levels, like your anxiety, or not really? Or at the moment it is coming down? So for the last 10 years it's mm. been horrendous. Yep. And only s probably so seven months ago, eight months ago I tried to overdose. Right. And I, I did a pretty good job. And after a few weeks after vomiting or for so I'll tell yeah. you the story. Yep. So my parents still don't know this, but I woke up, I took, so I take two quite heavy medications. Yep. One's an antipsychotic, which is given in smaller doses to people with anxiety, which is me. And I take 100 milligrams to go to sleep. I would have taken maybe four or 5,000 milligrams one Jesus. night. 
and I take another drug called clonazepam, which is like Valium but much stronger. And I maybe took forty or fifty of them, and I thought this will do the job. Shit. It has to. I woke up probably did it on a Friday night because I knew that I wouldn't be bothered on the weekend because generally I'm just sort of left alone on the weekend by people. Yeah. And I would have woken up twenty four hours later, and I vomited for probably two weeks. Literally, I was wrapped around my toilet bowl vomiting. Managed to message mum every morning, as we always have. So yep. she didn't think anything was wrong. I had the worst headache you could ever imagine for two weeks. And I don't know what internal damage I did, but I've never been checked on that. But after that, I went, you know what? I can't rely on... So I've, the last 10 years, I've seen a psychologist and a psychiatrist every single week. Yep. I haven't missed a week. And I've been relying on them to fix me, and they haven't. So... I went, it's time for me to take charge and I need to fix myself. So I'd been meditating on and off, but I decided that I was going to meditate and do it for a fixed period every single day. So for the last six and a half months, I've been meditating for about three to four hours a day and it has saved my life. It's still very, very difficult, but it's saved my life. Can I ask you a question? And we can not go there if you don't want to. Yeah. But I just uh, the the reason I'm asking again, not voyeuristic, but I think if other people are going through this, they may hear similar signs or um, thought processes. What led you to that point? Like, what got you to the point where you thought, "That's it, I'm taking." I've prior to that over years, I'd sat at the Kangaroo Point Cliffs, yeah, for hours, willing myself to jump off. Sitting yeah. on the edge, saying, jump, don't be a fucking pussy. You're a fucking weak cunt, fucking jump. Yeah. I don't know if I can say that word. No, but, no. Um, it's not generated. I ne- and I never did it. Yeah. And that night it was just, it just, it's just, I don't know, some people experience anxiety for a month or something. I've been experiencing it for 10 years every day. Just wanted and to I stop. And I just couldn't do it. I just, I tried it previous to that and yeah. then I thought this time I'll do it properly. Yep. And I just couldn't, I just was like, I just want to put my head down and never return. It's just, and when people, the thing that upsets me is when I hear people say that suicide's selfish because no one wants to kill themselves. Like, in your in a rational mind, you don't want to die, but you're feeling so much pain and people say, oh, but you've got to worry about your family. That's the last thing it's on your mind. When you're your feeling mind. immense pain mentally, which is way worse than any physical pain, I think, it's inescapable. 100%. And it's with you 24-7. You break a leg, you can take some tablets to fix it and the pain is alleviated yep. over a course of a month or two. Yeah. Or You know what I mean? Like, But the mental stuff, it doesn't leave you and it's twenty. It's just constantly gnawing at... Yeah. Yeah, right. That Look, I, I know someone who... Um, yeah, Kangaroo Point Cliffs is quite a common spot, I think, and... Mm. Um, I don't think a lot of police talk about what goes on there, but it's uh, it's interesting. Like um, though that you say about it being you not doing it as a sign of weakness, like uh, it comes back to that mindset. I think it's, and I know this to uh, to a, a listener who doesn't experience anxiety or yeah. any mental health. To me, and I don't want this to sound like that people should be doing it but it's no. a, it's courage to do, like yeah like i and this could be too graphic but the boy that i used to teach he hung himself he's nine year nine and he hung himself Jeez. and that is like that's horrific to think about but yeah the, the amount of courage that he needed to do that to end his life that he was struggling so much with is that's not 
I'm sorry, but that's not selfish and that's not gutless. That's like, fuck, you know, like I could never do that. Never. Yeah. Yeah, I, look, I, I, I mean, as I said, I haven't had suicidal, suicidal ideation, so it, that's not something that has been a, an issue for me. Um, uh, but like a nine, a grade nine boy, mm. it's tragic. Like, mm. fuck. Mm. Shit. Um, so meditation has obviously helped you a lot. Yeah. Um, have you ever thought about, um, this is a little bit left field, but um, I'm, I don't mind a conspiracy, and this is sort of in the conspiracy land if you sort of <laughs> look at the mainstream media and stuff. Yeah. Even though I don't think it is out there. Yeah. Have you ever looked at um, like psychedelics? Mate, I, I want to, but yeah. it's illegal in Australia. Yeah, 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 it is. So I went onto a, an American website. So I wanted to try plant medicine, but yep. the guy that I was going to see down the coast said that if you're on antidepressants, you have to be off them for six weeks or it can it will actually kill you. So I went, I'm not doing that. And I can't come off my medication because it's horrific. Yeah. But the microdosing in psychedelics, yes. there's so much science around it. Yes. And even my psychiatrist suggested that I do it. And generally in mainstream medicine, they don't do that. They don't do that, no. And I got onto this American company and she said, what country are you? And I said, Australia. She said, sorry, it's illegal. So, no, nah, I can't do it. Unless you do it illegally and I, I don't know. I don't know. Not really up yeah. for going to jail. But I want to, to I, I want to do it. Because the reason I raise it is there is, as you said, science behind this. There's been science since like the 1950s. Yeah. It's legit. Yeah. And it's interesting. I, I work with psychiatrists on and off and I came across a few and I've asked them about their views on it. And it's very, very mainstream and conservative. That stuff doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. Blah, blah, yep. blah, blah, blah. But I don't think, and I'm not being disrespectful to them, I just don't think they're aware of the science that says, yep. no, 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 it's fantastic for depression and anxiety. Like, yep. resets your brain effectively back yep. into default mode. And yep. people with crippling anxiety have experienced enormous benefits from mushrooms and ayahuasca yep. and DMT yeah. and everything else. Because there is someone I know who... Um, yeah, who's uh, like a, a shaman, effectively. In the plant medicine. Mm. Yeah. And I'll talk to you off air about it. But like, because yeah. um, I don't want to give their details out, but is like into it. And people have experienced mm. unbelievable benefits. Like I've read some of the testimonials and I've also known some of the people who have visited this person and, and been helped and life-changing um, I've never heard about the you can't do it whilst on yeah, pharmaceuticals. All, I've spoken to a couple because yeah. there's a proper medical facility in South America where all the celebrities go and it's super expensive and yeah. it's psychiatrists run it. Run it. And they've all said, I got on the website and asked some questions, they said, yeah, yeah. no to no to um, any uh, antidepressants. Because there are clinical trials at the moment. I think there's one at um, Imperial College maybe in London that's doing – another one and there's some in the u.s at like ivy league sort of places mm. like they're not mm. backwater institutions that are mm. doing um work with psilocybin and and other f psychedelic drugs at the moment and the results are outstanding like yeah. I, I i this goes back to though like that point of will the world change after covid yeah why like as a society it makes no sense why you can't as a consenting adult to me anyway other people will disagree that's fine explore an option like this and you're clearly not exploring it if you have a history with and documented medical history with psychiatrists of mental health mm. 
I don't see why you can't explore treatment like this. Yep. You're not doing it for recreational purposes. No. Well, I've tried over the last 10 years, I would have tried 50 to 100, probably 100 different antidepressants and none of them have ever done anything for me apart from make me put weight on and make oh, me mate. not motivated. But they're these are proven drugs that are psychiatric drugs to help people in my situation. And yeah. out of 100, I haven't found one that's done anything for me. So that's just, why people go down this route, this other route. It, they go down this route and they unfairly, like not unfairly, they go down this route at risk of harm to themselves. And I don't mean harm physically. I mean harm like of breaking the law. Like yeah. we know a family, a, a very good family friend of our, uh, my wife's, who um, one of the siblings has shocking, shocking epilepsy. Been on TV and stuff and just shocking. And the parents were trying to... Medicinal uh, marijuana. Yeah, yeah, I think like get medicinal yeah. marijuana for yeah. him. And I, th- I, I look, I, I don't know all of the details, um, but I'm pretty sure that someone in their circle of friends might have said something and there were some letters that arrived from those oh, really? government departments that say, hey, listen... This isn't on and, you know, because, uh, yeah, well, it's illegal. But, well, it was. I don't know if it still is. I'm not sure. But it was. And I just sort of think the evidence shows that he benefits enormously from it. His seizures stop. He can hold his own fork and spoon. He's 12, acting like 12, not acting like a five-year-old or four-year-old because doesn't have that constant because he would have like like 50 60 seizures it's not a life hey like you're 12 years old i reckon the fact that his parents are doing whatever they can is amazing they're doing despite the fact that it's illegal they're doing what they're doing for their kid and that's what they need to be doing i, I would do it in a heartbeat but i just i don't want to go to jail <laughs> i'm terrified i tried i've tried every cbd oil so yeah. cannabis oil and none of it's done anything but there's some stuff they do in nimbin and it's got a bit of so cannabis soil doesn't have the THC in it, which makes you high. But yeah. there's some stuff in Nimbin you can get, which has a little bit of the THC in it. And I know that it does help people sleep. Like right. It's really good for sleep. So one of my mates' mums, she doesn't sleep, so he got her some of this stuff. And yeah, because it doesn't make you high, but it makes you a little bit euphoric, and it does help her sleep. So, but again, that's illegal because <laughs> it's THC, which yeah, is right. which is marijuana. Know, which makes you high, so. Oh, but we're allowed to. I could go out tomorrow and buy alcohol and go. I could, go, I could go across the road now and drink twenty eight schooners. Hundred percent. That's like Joe was talking about on a podcast recently. He said <laughs> I could drink this whole bottle of whiskey now <laughs> yeah. and kill myself if I <laughs> wanted to. Like that's. Because yeah. do you know what's funny? I had an idea for uh, this is way off topic, but I had an idea years ago for um, uh, <laughs> for our, like a. You know, you get those li- liquid gel caps. Yeah. I thought it'd be really good to fill them with like uh, really highly concentrated alcohol, like ethanol or whatever it would be, and also like a rum flavouring or a Jack Daniels flavouring <laughs> yeah. or something. And so you pop it into a little can of Coke and at a festival, you don't pay – because I never did drugs, right? So that's the truth. I smoked pot like three times in my life and that's it. I never did anything else. So when I would go to festivals, 
I wouldn't be there on pingers. I would be <laughs> like having a good time, having a drink. Yeah, yeah. And, but what got me was it's like $45 to buy a Red Bull and vodka. <laughs> and I was like, I'm fucking not spending my week's wage on three drinks. 15 bucks for a pinger <laughs> and you're high for eight exactly, hours. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So I was like, wouldn't it be good if you could pop like a little alcohol pinger in this thing, dissolves and you've got a little rum and coke and you spent four bucks on a can of coke. And people were saying to me, what a great idea. I take it fishing. I don't have to try and pour into a whatever mm. and I mm. take it everywhere with me. Take it to the footy like you don't have to spend money there. And then someone said to me, oh, I wouldn't pass uh, liquor licensing and regulation on that front because people could pop like a hundred and they could die. And I was like, okay, but like these people are adults and if you're that fucking stupid, well, like, I mean, come on, mate. But I could go across the road now, yeah. and as you said, yeah. I could pot 28 schooners. Yeah. <laughs> no yeah. pun intended, but yeah. like I could, yeah. and no one could stop you. No. Oh, well, I mean, they might go nah, not around responsible. Here, you know, <laughs> they know me. G'day, <laughs> yeah. mate. So he's a friend of mine. <laughs> can, so can I ask you, so psychedelics, obviously, like that to me is a real area of um, exploration, I think, for people with mental health problems. And I'm not saying, again, not medical advice, so... But mm. I think people, even if you listen to this and you uh, are not looking at this as medical advice, but I think it's worth for people listening, just understanding the literature that's out there on it and the information that's out there. The reason I say that is I've got a friend who I work with who is a lawyer who's um, quite conservative by nature and really would never ever consider or countenance drugs, um, mm-hmm. which is great, but wouldn't even think about psychedelics and in our discussions has a little bit of a a negative sort of connotation attached to it Um, and amazingly has changed their mind quite a bit Mm. because he's guided by what the science says and the science says, no, it's actually possible this is quite good. And so I think people, even if you don't, um, if you're listening to this and you don't want to (laughs) follow Uncle Dave and go have... (laughs) Mushy this RV, but <laughs> uh, go actually do some reading on it because it might be something that, yeah, uh, uh, there are advocacy groups out there too. I know that that yeah. are trying to actually change the law in that space. So maybe it's something you can get get behind if that's something that interests you. Mm. Can I ask you what your in your experience has not worked for you? Like advice that people have given you, um, advice that your therapist has given you. Have there been specific, like we talked before about standing in front of the mirror saying you're a good bloke. Mm. Have there been other things that they have given you that categorically are just a waste of time? Yeah, so the one thing that I did for two full years yeah, and the psychologist said, look, we don't know if it's going to work, but let's give it a go, is positive psychology. So yep. wake up, feel anxious and tell yourself you're okay. I did that for two years and I wrote journals about gratitude and I, you know, at night time I said three things that I was grateful for for the day and everything was positive, 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 positive. Yep. That's what people say. If you're positive, you'll be okay. But to be honest, it's bullshit. If you're battling a legitimate mental health issue, to say things that are positive is your rational mind speaking and your anxiety is controlled by your subconscious, your unconscious mind. So... I don't choose to be anxious. My brain has decided that for me. So I can say whatever I want rationally mm. and I can tell myself that I'm amazing, that I'm feeling good, but it did. I did it for two full years and I did it every single day. It was a mantra and it did nothing for me 
probably made me a little bit worse. So that's probably the worst advice I've ever been given by a psychologist. Really? You think it made you worse? 100%. Why? Because I was lying to myself and I said this right. to him. Right. My new psychiatrist is amazing. He's a really, really forward-thinking man and he's, you know, he's he's studied traditionally at Oxford but mm. he's he's very out there in his thinking and, and he... He said to me, he goes, mate, you were lying to yourself. He said, if you're anxious, it's okay. Just say, I'm f- I feel fucking shit. Mm. Don't fucking lie to yourself because you're just, you're doing nothing by, that, by, by saying that. Well, people aren't resonating with you because you're being fake. They're resonating with you because you're genuine mm. about your experience. Mm. Like, and it's helping them. How is being fake going to help you? Mm. Like that only stands to reason that yeah. if you're being fake and saying, yeah, no, I'm a great I'm a great guy. I toured for the Wallabies, whatever. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, that's the truth, though. Yeah, right. Well, that makes sense. It didn't work for me. I, I went like, and I like, it just made no sense because I, I didn't feel that way. Mm. I didn't feel like I was standing in the mirror going, "What a cool guy!" And mm. I'm, oh, I'm not a cool guy. I'm. Mm. Oh, I think you are. Thanks, mate. Another thing that I found when I spoke to psychologists, not so much psychiatrists, but a lot of the psychologists I spoke to told me. They said, oh, what's your anxiety like? And I said, my anxiety, I wake up and it's 9 or 10 and it stays that way until I go to sleep. And they said, okay, there's two things that's wrong there. So this is someone telling me my experience. Mm. They're saying anxiety goes in waves, so it goes up and down. And I said, well, mine doesn't. And they said, and if you have anxiety, you can't sleep. And I said, well, I can sleep because I actually look forward to that time because it's the time where I can put my head down and I feel relaxed then and I can actually sleep and escape it for eight hours. And I was told by three or four psychologists that I don't have anxiety, A, because I can sleep and B, because my anxiety doesn't come in waves. And so I I have lost a bit of faith in it because I I just saw those people as being educated for six years through a textbook and everyone's brain is... Completely different, completely different and we different. still no one understands the brain and no one ever will understand the brain no. and for them to say that to me was really like it was a massive kick in the teeth to be told that you don't have anxiety can i ask what did they say you you had then if it wasn't anxiety or they didn't have an answer no they didn't have an answer to that. they just said what you're experiencing is an anxiety and i said so that the feeling of constant fear and dread is not anxiety what else is it what, what other word is there for that because i'm not depressed it's anxiety but nothing no. no answer, no. Uh, and I stopped seeing – I'm seeing a psychologist at the moment. I Honestly, we just go there and I talk and I don't think it's beneficial, to be honest, but yeah. it's become a habit, so I do it. And Would you reconsider that? Like, do you think you'll reconsider that, seeing that person, if it's not as beneficial? Yeah, I, I probably should can it now because seeing a – and that's an, another thing in this country and probably in every country, to actually get help – most people can't afford it. So I oh. pay, I pay, see my psychiatrist, it costs yep. me $390 for 45 minutes and to see a psychologist, it costs me $190. So I spend about, five, let's just say I spend $580 a week on my mental health and that's not medication, that's just seeing two doctors and on top of that, I pay for a lot of other things. So I'm lucky in, in the fact that I've worked for 20 years and I've built up some savings and I'm using my superannuation at the moment yeah. so I can afford to do it. But the average Joe can't afford that. So most people who do really, really battle don't get help because they can't afford to get help. That's the genuinely, like mental health is tragic, but that's the genuinely tragic part is that the cost of healthcare 
and we live in a country where it's actually pretty good. Yeah. Like that's kind of the yeah. scary part too yeah. is that we give rebates and everything else. But uh, you're not wrong. Like it's prohibitively expensive. Yeah. And what upsets me, I understand that coronavirus is affecting people and, you know, Melbourne's back in lockdown. But yep. all of a sudden because the majority of the population in a city are being affected, they've made seeing a psychiatrist over the telephone free. And for me, that's just a massive kick into the massive kick into the teeth to people who actually battle every single day outside of the pandemic. Yep. You know, because five million people in Melbourne are locked down, people are complaining their mental health struggling. So if we're going to make it free now, well, let's. Why can't we just make it free all the time if that's the case? Yeah, and it, it is. That's quite upsetting for me. Yeah, I think I've heard this argument not in relation to mental health specifically, I've heard it in a lot of other areas where people say, all of a sudden you can find money for things. Yeah. All of a sudden, yeah. because coronavirus is here, you can find money. And the economic sort of conservative in me goes, well, we're borrowing. But the other part of it is, we don't have like this national conversation around what is it important. And mental health is important. Mm. If you don't have good mental health as a society, well, everything else is going to fall by the wayside anyway. So you might mm. as well invest in it. And we don't. Like, mm. the good thing I saw, um, I don't know if you saw this, that Greg Hunt bloke, the health minister, the national one. I don't watch or TV. Federal. Oh, don't you? Uh-huh. What do you do? Just Netflix? No, I just... Oh, you meditate watch, a fair bit too. Watch Mike Tyson videos. Oh, do you? <laughs> <laughs> or Conor McGregor Go videos. Go me. You know who my favourite? Who? Uh, Roy Jones Jr.? Yeah. Oh, man, was he so good when he was younger. Bro, he was the man that I guy. think Mike might knock him out though. In do this, you reckon? In December, yeah. Do you watch UFC? Love it. Oh, this weekend, who have you got? Stipe or Cormier? Stipe, I think. Yeah, I reckon yeah. so too. Yeah. He seems like a... He's a firefighter too, which is yeah. what I like. Yeah. I like that he's just a fucking yeah. good bloke. Yeah. DC sounds like a good bloke yeah. too, but... <laughs> I do, it's funny, I don't... I hate violence, but... In general, I hate violence, but yeah. I love going to watch two blokes in a UFC about punching each other in the face and choking each other. Me too. Something about it. <laughs> Which I just really love. It's funny, is it? <laughs> I say it all the time, I love it. But then when I'm in some company, I go, people would, I don't mention that I like UFC because I think people go, you're a barbarian. And I think, yeah, maybe, but. Well, if you mention that you like Donald Trump as well in that oh, sentence, then you're, geez, you're in big trouble, aren't the you? The orange man is my hero. <laughs> but <clears throat> I don't say that in public because people fucking lose their marvels. Like, this is what we were talking about though. Like, earlier and this is off podcast for the listeners like you can't even say that him working towards a peace treaty which he did this morning mm. um for israel and who was yeah, it somewhere in the middle uh, east, somewhere yeah. in the middle east another country there is a good thing people go no nah, no nah, he's still a yeah. shit guy. like yeah. and you think no yeah. no that's a good thing yeah. you credit where it's due yeah. and can him where it's yeah not due i yeah i find it amazing but uh, back to your point like it does need to be prioritised and we need to put more money into it. And Greg Hunt did say that we're going to set up a national mental health plan and we're going to have all of this money for um, funding, uh, sorry, all this funding given to create centres across the country for people to, um, yeah, uh, get some support. I know one's been opened up in Western Australia. I don't know if it's Perth, but it only can fit 50 people or something. It's just not enough. Yeah, and that cost... Hundreds of millions of dollars. So yeah, how's that possible? Because yeah. uh, anyway, that's yeah, another yeah, topic. But like, yeah. yeah, this is what I I I don't understand is why it costs so much money, and I understand like 
from having worked in that space, I understand it in the um, in the inpatient category. It costs money yep. because some of them are, are violent and whatever else. But um, in the outpatient stuff, like for people who just go see their psych in everyday life, like uh, uh, it, it can't be that expensive. I spent six weeks in the New Farm Clinic, which yeah. is a private clinic in New Farm in Brisbane. And my private health at the time I didn't know was amazing. And yeah. I got my bill at six weeks and it was twenty three grand. Oh. And luckily my parents said, We'll pick that up for you. Wow. Twenty three thousand dollars. And I came out of there worse. Twenty three grand. Yeah. Yeah. After private health. Yeah. I was with NIB. Don't get NIB. <laughs> I cancelled my mental. I cancelled my my private health after that because it it covered nothing. Yeah, I don't have private health. No, neither do I. No, I think it's and I don't pay tax either. Oh, don't you? How come? Get paid in cash. Oh. <laughs> His name's <laughs> Chris Stevens. No everyone, ATA listeners. <laughs> Mate, oh, I wish I got paid in tax uh, in cash. That doesn't happen for me. Um, that's ridiculous. Mm. How can people afford to live on? Well, it's funny, but my mate, he was paying similar. So I was paying 150 bucks a month. He's with Booper. He went to a clinic for alcoholism up at Spring Hill and it cost him $250 a week. So it's obviously I ticked the wrong box somewhere or <laughs> I don't know what happened, but yeah, it cost him 250 bucks a week. It cost me, what cost mum and dad 23 grand. That's actually what I was going to ask you. How's the support been from your family and friends? Um, like you said before, you haven't told your parents some things. Yeah. Do you have a good support network around you? Yes. I, Because you talk to your mum daily. Yes. So without my mum and dad, I would not. If my mum and dad weren't here, I wouldn't be alive. Right. And I'm still, every day I grapple with the thought of when mum and dad do die, will I still want to be here? So that is in my mind every day. And I don't know the answer to that. I have two amazing brothers, but we don't talk about Mental my health. issues. Right. We just don't. And... I do have a lot of good friends, but I've also lost a lot of good friends who couldn't deal with it and didn't want to hear it. And, that, and you know, that's fine. But, yeah, it's I do have a really – like, compared to most people, I'd say that my network is really, really good. Yeah. But it doesn't help. Right. It doesn't at all? Well, for me, it doesn't because I'm happy to be by myself. Like, I don't – through meditation, I don't experience the feeling of loneliness. I don't experience it. Yeah, right. Because I know – some of your friends in support network, top people, yeah. like genuinely good blokes. Yeah. G'day, Foles. <laughs> Mudders, one of the Nick greats. Foley, single. <laughs> Has been his whole life. <laughs> Has one of the most unbelievably muscular thumbs you've ever seen. <laughs> he's like a good bloke. Do you know what I really realised about Foles is he's got this like – um, video sort of recall, photographic recall of um, movies. Oh, my God, he's yeah, so good. Yeah, photographic comes, memory, I think. Yeah. Mate, he comes out with some absolute pearlers sometimes. He's he's a, one of those dudes as well who I reckon he'll be 60 and he'll still look like he's 30. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> fucker. He does, eh? It's not fair, mate. Like, I look like I'm 90 and he's <laughs> I'm still younger than him. So you don't think... Um, Support network, in your instance, is it's good in some senses, but in others it's not. Because I guess the reason I'm asking is for those out there, like, who are maybe struggling, would it be worthwhile, in your opinion, for them to, to reach out to their yes, friends and family? Definitely. Definitely. Definitely, yeah. Yep. 
I think that it's really important to do that. And that's, I did that. Yep. But now where I'm sitting now, I feel like there's not much anyone can do. And I feel like being alone is the best option for me. But definitely if you're struggling and people don't know you're struggling, then you have to reach out. I mean, I reached out 10 years ago because it just got too much. And I yep. had to, like, I had to say something. I don't know. I couldn't have continued to be alive if I didn't say something. Like I had to say something. Do you think the people who are your mates who have maybe not distanced themselves but just said, look, I, it's a little bit much, do you think it's that like weariness of I don't know what to do, don't know how to help you, it's just hard so I'll... Yeah, because they're not equipped. They're not, they don't have the skills to deal with it. And I also think that I actually have been hanging around with a girl for the last couple of weeks and she's well, the last couple of months and she really struggles with mental health and she has told me that she feels like her life will end through suicide and she doesn't say so sorry she didn't say she feels like it will she yeah. said it will and that right. is hard if ever, even for me and I'm quite desensitized to this stuff now that yeah that fucking hurt me like and I've only known her for two months and we're friends like it fucking hurt me. So I understand why people, and I haven't moved away from her and I wouldn't do that, but I can understand why people do because that's hard. That shit's fucking hard. It's heavy too. Oh, it's a lot I of, cried for three hours. It's a lot of weight to carry, man. Yeah. Like when you said before you were talking about um, your mum and dad and, and what happens in the future for you, uh, like that's a lot of weight to carry now though, like when that's not necessarily a reality because yeah. if your parents are the same age my parents were when they had me they'd be like 70 maybe yeah, give yeah, or take. yeah. early so, 70 yeah so they've still got time like heaps of time yeah fit and healthy yeah old dad smokes daries and they Does drink and drink a lot so. yeah right good on him though he's living <laughs> his best life <laughs> yeah, yeah. he's fucking living the dream yeah um yeah right well because it's interesting because uh, not interesting and that's not the right word uh, i do think that there's a, a real real space there for people to educate others on how to deal with people who are struggling with mental health issues. That's where one area where I reckon there is no uh, clear sort of guidance or information. Cause Can I tell you the best thing to do? And I did this through Souths, is yeah. the mental health first aid course. Really? Two-day course, 12 hours. I did it with a couple of boys from Souths and the club paid for it. It's normally about... Did they pay for it? Yeah, yeah. That's what? There's only good. three blokes from the club to went, me and, and the two Munros, and they told you what to say. They said, this is what you say if someone tells you presents as suicidal. This is what you do. And it was contrary to everything I'd ever been taught, but that's what the science says, and it helped me enormously. And really? those two who said that they haven't understood how I feel, they said, we now feel more equipped to help you. And I've got lots of friends that I've said, you need to do this. I train at F45 and I've got all the trainers doing it because they have clients coming up to them saying, look, we're struggling, we're struggling because it's a, you know, that, that type of industry and it's really good. 12 hours out of your weekend. Who do you do it through? Do you know? Off the top I of your just head? typed in, you just type in mental, mental health, health first aid thing. course into Google and yep. it comes up with it. Yeah, you can do it online. My mate yep. just did it online and he, he found it really beneficial. Yeah, right. I, I'll, and I'll I think all teachers should have to do it. I think all parents should have to do it. Everyone? like Everyone should have to do not? it. Why not? Like, the reality is we have to do it when you have a pool. Like, so... Yeah. Uh, it's such... Uh, it's an increasing problem. Mm. Why well, not? Well, suicide rates are 75% male and 
was about a million people last year. And uh, the, globally a, or? Globally, a million people. 800,000 to a million. And I'm a maths teacher, so I understand, sort of understand graphs, I yeah. hope. <laughs> so an x-axis and a y-axis. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. The graph's going up. It's not exponential, but it's increasing and the gradient's getting steeper and it's not slowing. Yeah. And that's a worry. Shit. I didn't realise it was that many. Yeah. A million people potentially a year are committing suicide. Yeah. Is that men or just people? That's a million people, but 75, 70 to 75% are male. That's it's the highest astronomical. It's suicide's the highest incidence of death between 15 to 24-year-olds in the world. Are you joking? Well, maybe in Australia. I think it's in Australia. Yeah. I just, like, you probably could do this in your head. No, Being the math teacher, but that's almost 2,800 people a day. Mm. I think it's one every 40 seconds. So... There's a boy that plays at Souths and he's got a, a page. It's an amazing Facebook uh, Instagram page. I was actually going to ask you about this. called Fuck Suicide, which I reckon is just a great name. And yeah. On average, it's about one person every 40 seconds. Army? Army, yeah. How did – so why – can I ask – like, I'll, I want, I'll talk to him about this at, at some point. But how did – why – what where, – how did that page come about? Like, what for him – I coached. I helped coach him, and he's so he's a, a Tongan boy that plays at South Rugby Union in Brisbane. And I coached him, and funnily enough, I played with his dad. <laughs> his dad was he was fucking hard. Do you know Matty Bennett's played with his dad? Yeah, yeah, and he's yeah. now playing with the yeah, son. Yeah, I, yeah, he used yeah, to, yeah. He and he was. I just saw that he used to read a lot of my posts and like a lot of my posts. And then I just noticed that he puts. He just started this page with his girlfriend, and it's just a. I just think it's amazing that he's willing and open to talk about it and post stuff and especially a young masculine boy playing rugby union in a masculine environment where you don't talk about that stuff. And I just said to him, mate, I'd, I want to I help you. Let's increase your follower base, following base. So we, we talk every now and then and, yeah. I he's a great, great kid. Oh, he's amazing. Fucking great kid. He is cool, isn't he? That's I would a, hate to tackle him. Oh, mate. <laughs> Do you know Alex Ung? Yeah. Ungy got knocked out cold one night. Hit him flush and ungan it. We were talking about ungan earlier, but right out like a light. Army can. He's a big he can do some damage. Uh, what he's one hundred and five kilos, oh, and it wouldn't easy. be a stitch of fat on him. No, no, no. He's a big rig. Um, can I ask you just going back to what you were saying about Army then? And his page is fuck suicide. I don't know if I'm way off the beaten track with this, but I'm going to put it out there, and you can tell me you're an idiot or. You might be onto something here. So I was listening to a Rogan podcast recently and they were talking about transgender issues. And did you hear that one? The, the lady was on. A lady was on and she was talking about work that she had done and studies she had done where she um, had noticed that the rates of young females identifying as males and undergoing that transition Mm. And I'm probably not using the right vernacular and I don't do that disrespectfully. I just yeah. am not entirely yeah. up with the lingo. Yeah. But the people that were going through that transition had increased exponentially. And it like you're talking about a steady gradient rise. It's yeah. Yeah. skyrocketing. Yeah. And she said that interestingly, it seemed to her that it was almost replacing cutting, which was something that young girls did. Yeah, yeah. Previously, yeah. and so in lieu of cutting, which is dropping, young women that are identifying as trans 
gender uh, is rising exponentially. And she was, look, I don't know if this is exactly, uh, maybe I misunderstood, but it seemed to me that she was suggesting that it was almost like there was an element in there of social contagion Mm. in that there are some people who are definitely gender dysphoric or whatever the proper term is, but there are others who are gay or bi or confused or or they're just anxious or depressed or they they are suffering from some mental affliction and they then find this and this becomes the outlet through which they can... When Army says fuck suicide... I've got to be honest, I, I do wonder whether or not, because um, she talked about it in this podcast, she said that suicide, there was a town in the US where uh, it was basically like, again, social contagion, where one or two started doing it and then everyone in that town, like a lot of young kids, yeah. significantly higher. Yeah. Do you think that that's the background for him? Oh, like I'll ask him at some point, but do you think that there's anything of... <coughs> I don't know. I just know that he said that him and his girlfriend started talking about it and they maybe he's known people. Yeah. And he just wants to create awareness around it. So it's something that him and his girlfriend do together. But, I, yeah, to be honest, I, I don't know the answer to that. I guess the reason I ask is because he, he's not just saying raise awareness for suicide. He's saying fuck it, fuck it as a concept. And yeah. to me that sort of suggested that there was some element of it that was um, – I don't know. Not fashionable is not the right word, mm. but it's what people are doing, and because mm. people say "fuck Facebook" or something, and mm. so you get off Facebook. Mm. And I wondered whether or not that was. It'd be interesting. I, I'd be. Interested I think to at first when I saw it, I was yeah. quite confronting. But the "fuck" word doesn't bother me. But I <laughs> like the word. I like the word suicide. I think that it's something that we never use, and yeah. It needs to be the word needs to be said because it's happening, mm. and I don't know where I got this stat from, and I don't know if it's completely true, but I did read or hear somewhere that the World Health Organization has predicted that if things can like the lead, leading cause of death in the world is heart attack or yeah, heart, heart disease or whatever, or like that. that if things continue the way they're continuing, then in you know twenty or so years, suicide will be the leading cause of death in the world, and that's. Wow, you know, and if that's something that's never spoken about, how can we not speak about it? Frightening, really. Yeah. Can I ask you, what's next? I'm conscious of time. What's next for you? So in this world that we live in, what's next for you as a person and what's next for you in the work that you're doing? Or are they not separate things? They're intrinsically linked and... So I had that conversation with my psychiatrist yesterday and... yeah. I said that I'm starting to, things are starting to slowly feel a little bit better. I yeah. I find I wake up and I feel all right until about midday and for some reason I, then I start to get really anxious and I do I've still... come over. Yeah. <laughs> my clothes on. Yeah. And... <laughs> You'd be and really upset then. <laughs> never had a naked man on the couch. <laughs> Put a bra on, Dave. A <laughs> naked women, but never a naked man, which, you know what, let's give it a go. Well, why not? It's a public holiday. Yeah. <laughs> Ash, surprise. (laughs) (laughs) My wife will be shocked. (laughs) I didn't realise what I was when I went to an all... Yeah, I didn't realise what I was when I went to an all-boys school. It's taken me... What happens? It's always been a thought. 
<laughs> We're going to trial it out after this. <laughs> See you, everyone. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I sidetracked. So, yeah, you, lunchtime is... Yeah, and I, I, I tutor maths in the afternoon, and I do enjoy that because it's, again, helping kids. So Yeah. And that there's that anticipatory anxiety which is creating that anxiety leading up to doing that, and I'm doing it this afternoon. But yeah. talking to you now, my mind's off that, so I'm not thinking about it, so I'm not anxious, but... I just said to him, I, I sort of feel like I need to start doing something more in terms of work. And he said to me, he goes, are you financially stressed? And I said, no. And he said, you don't need to jump straight back into work. You need just to keep doing what you're doing. You need to keep exercising in the morning. Mm. You need to keep meditating. You need to keep you know, doing what you're doing and getting yourself feeling better each day. And he said, that's the only important thing. So... To be honest, that's all I do is mm. I've just started. So today I do F45 and for a – I'm not masculine because I played fly half, but <laughs> for a guy that played rugby his whole life to say no, – You didn't to, play soccer. So to be honest and tell people I do F45 is quite cringeworthy, but I've just – Is it really? Yeah, because you lift light weights. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah It's yeah. a female Heaps of sort of orientated thing. Oh, right. But I'm, I've started it. I've There's never done this in my there. life. I've started my challenge today and – for the next six weeks, I'm not going to drink. Not that I drink much, but I do drink alcohol. My diet's never been amazing, so I'm going to clean that right up for six weeks. And I'm just going to see if that, considering that I've tried everything, like, and I mean everything, maybe that diet does play an important, a more important role than I thought. So that's what I'll be doing over the next six weeks, yeah. Get your gut brain right. Yeah, yeah. Because they say it's linked, so. Yeah. Yeah, right. Well, that makes sense. And then longer term for you with the platform you've got, because, like, I mean... For me, being asked to present at Are You OK is pretty major. That's a, a really big thing. Um, and you've got that platform through your mental health mentor um, work. Where would you like to go with it? Like, is there sort of like, do you have you actually stopped and taken the time to think about where you'd like to go with it? Or have you just sort of, it just keeps happening? And No, I have. I have. Yeah. I want to talk at schools. That's yep. what I want to do. Yep. But I've been turned away from my own school. After the suicide, yep. I said to my school, I said, I want to, and I sent a very long email basically that I wanted to talk to the boys. The boys trusted me and mm. I think that it would be beneficial for them to hear my story and they told me that I wasn't a professional and that they couldn't do it. And I've been told that by a lot of schools and that's all I want to do is I want to go to, it doesn't have to be boys' schools, I want to go to any school that will accept me and I want to, within any framework that they want me to talk, I want to talk to kids. That's all That's all I want to do. I yeah. want to talk to kids. And because kids get a bad rap these days, but the stress that kids are under now is way worse than we ever were. When, when we were kids, there was no such thing as the internet. And with the, with the internet, with apps, with phones, with the increase in curriculum, kids are under so much pressure. Mm. Parents are putting more pressure on them because they want them to be doctors and engineers and... That's what I've seen anyway. And so I just want to help kids because, you know, they're the next they're the next lot of humans that, you know, are going to make this world a better place, aren't they? So It's not an easy it, – it, like I look at what my oldest is and she's in prep, but it's not easy being – it couldn't be easy being a kid these days. No. No way. Like no. we never had any of the – Boys are different, I guess, in the sense that if you had a problem with someone at school, and like I was in a couple of little fisticuffs when I was at school, high school, but it's over and done with. Yeah. But now it seems like 
you go home and your Facebook and Instagram is just yeah. flooded with shit and mm. people who are too spineless to say it to you in real life, yep. they hide behind... Well, I do. I notice that when I'm on my phone looking at Facebook and Instagram, it does increase my anxiety. Yeah, right. And I was saying to a mate the other day, I grew up, I was 11, I was 10 in 1990. Growing up in the 90s was the best time. Sick, eh? We used to go and watch rugby. Yeah. We used to go Maybe to you parties. Go to Ballymore we go to Ballymore. Sick, man. It was amazing. And yeah. I talk to the boys at school and tell them how amazing my childhood was and growing up into a teenager and being 17 in 1997 and... No phones, you'd just say to your mates, I'm going to meet here, and we'd all meet there. And it was just yeah. like, that will never happen again. And they they thought it was weird, but I was like, guys, you have no idea how amazing it was to do that. Uh, we go camping at Christmas time, and I I often try not to look at my phone at all, yeah. like full stop. Yeah, And it's awesome being unplugged. Yeah, No TV, yeah. no anything. And even though I'm saying this as I sit, I'd, I'll go home after this and watch a bit of Netflix or YouTube or something. Yeah. Because it's there, it's like addictive. Yep. But when I'm not plugged in, it's awesome. Yeah. Do you know where I reckon there's a real opportunity? I'm not telling you how to do your business, but I reckon there's a real opportunity if schools aren't as obliging, maybe places like rugby clubs. Mm. I, like, in, I know you said that South offered you the opportunity to do that mental health first aid course, and yep. I'll put a link to that. I'll find it after the show, and I'll put yeah. a link in for people who are interested. But rugby clubs are as macho and as... Yeah tough as you get yeah so i reckon uh, well i was supposed to talk at east's to their coach before covid hit yeah right a, the general manager there used to go to my, my oh, school yeah. and he um luco and he mm. said mate we'd love you to come in and you just say whatever you want and you just talk to these boys because they need to hear it and then coronavirus happened and it went away so yeah that was on the cards or i had one anyway well <laughs> This is the other part of it. Like, you know at South, the demographic of the people that we are that we have there, a lot of them are Pacific Islanders. Yeah. And I'm not saying this, like, this happens across every socio-demographic and every mm. cultural background. But, like, we've had a few guys that have missed large blocks of training because of personal sort of family issues. Mm. And when I was at Jeeps, that just didn't happen. Like, we would never have guys that would go AWOL for a bit. Yeah. And... There's no problem with that at all. People have issues in their yeah. life. But I do think that if that's something that happens, then it and it does, it needs to – clubs should get on board yeah. and get someone like you in to talk to them because they're not talking about it when they come back to training. Yeah. Like I'm not having conversations with blokes last year and saying, what happened to you? How are you going? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. they don't really want to open up naturally. Yeah. yeah. But if you're in there and you can – share your experience and people are naturally inclined to open up to you it might be a real avenue for because as i said it needs to happen somehow it needs to be needs to spread mm. that sort of behavior um i'm conscious of time mate um and I, i've sort of talked about rugby with you because like there's we were talking about uh, i you sort haven't of asked me about my career or do you want to your career, touch on my career, yeah, <laughs> go for your life. No, nah, there was superstar fly half <laughs> points no, record. Never made a cent. Really? No, I got a pie once and a oh. and a cold beer from Ra from Rowdy. Oh. <laughs> Stole one of his half a dozen that he yeah, had yeah. Uh, backed up for himself. Um, on that rugby point, like you actually see it in professional rugby though too. Like I said to you about James Slipper. Like, look what happens to him when his family life falls apart. Like, his mum's dying and he then goes on to a cocaine bender. Yeah. Like, it needs to be there. They need 
these people live in these high pressure bubbles that mm. but even at clubland they need it they mm. need that support and the thing is people say that professional sport would be oh it'd be amazing to be a professional athlete they've got the most pressure of anyone on oh. them i used to teach a boy who plays for the melbourne storm christian welsh and he's the epitome of resilience but mm. the pressure that they are under to perform i would never want because i remember when i used to get picked in first grade in local brisbane competition i'd feel sick the whole week yeah i would i would hate it reserve grade easy but if i got picked in first grade my whole week would be ruined because i'd be so stressed Probably because you had rad coaches in reserve grade. That's probably yeah, why, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Ken, do you know what's funny, though, about that pressure? Have you watched um, the season, the BBC season? It's on, like, Onion TV do it. They do a special, and they do one uh, on Nudgy, and then they've done one on Oh, BBC. yes, I have, I have, yeah. The BBC one, those boys, when they didn't win the... Mm. They didn't beat Southport, they mm. were all crying. Like, mm. And, look, I love it as a rugby guy because yeah. I go, man, that's passion. Yeah, I yeah. want all of them to play for me because... Yeah. They care. Yeah. But at the same time, my wife who was watching with me in bed goes, oh, those poor boys, that's yeah. not fair. And yeah. I was like, well, I didn't even think about it like that. Yeah. I just thought, what fucking great kids. Like, mm. they want it. But mm. the other side is, what enormous pressure. And as you said earlier, the school you went to and taught at and the school I went to, rugby's not a small thing at those schools. It's yeah. important. And yeah. parents who send you there like they're not sending you there so that you can go drive a bus for the Brisbane City Council. Uh, they yeah. want you, as you said, yeah. to be an engineer or a lawyer or a doctor yeah. or something because they're spending twenty grand a year on your education. Yeah. So you're the pressure is there for a young boy to perform, yeah. to be there on time, to study, do well in extracurricular stuff, be the rugby hero, mm. and hold all and of that together. And especially these kids that are actually on these scholarships at these private schools. Yeah. The pressure they're under. Everyone says, "Oh, they're so lucky," and yeah, they are because they're being given a, an amazing education. But if you're on a full sporting scholarship, you're a professional athlete. Effectively, basically, yeah. at the age of 16. That's a lot, mate. Yeah. That is a lot of yeah. pressure. Yeah. Bro, I was just, as you said earlier, I was nervous about just whether or not I'd talk to a chick in a dance. I wasn't yeah, and like, you never did, did no. you? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate, Ash was the first person who talked to me. And I was like, marry me. <laughs> now That's, she's regretting it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> if only you knew how true that was she probably regrets it every day the poor thing um i'm conscious of time i said that earlier and we've been going for ages actually and you've got stuff to do time's fine though mate it has tell me about it anything else that we didn't talk about that you want to cover that you think is important to get out there though because this is an issue that's um normally when i talk to people you just i'll, I'll pull the pin but yeah because mental health is important yeah. and it's not light yeah is there anything else that we didn't cover that you think... Uh, we covered it, but I think that it starts as a parent. And if you're a parent, to be a good parent, you need to talk to your kids. And mm. you can't expect them to learn stuff at school. You have to expect that they're not learning anything at school and you have to teach them. And you get to teach them about talking about their emotions. And if we look at suicide rates being 70% male, we need to talk to our boys and our girls, but we need to talk to our boys about the importance of talking about your feelings and being honest from a very, very young age. Because I think, I don't think actually, I know that if I had done that and I had been told to meditate, that my life would be drastically different. So they're two things that I feel really, really passionate about. And yeah, that's that's about it really, yeah. Can I ask you, uh, like I know I just said, <laughs> time's up, but... I, I'm conscious of time. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say it one more time. <laughs> 
you're talking about young boys and talking how if you can spend time with them, open up that aspect of their their lives and, and be familiar and comfortable talking about it. Uh, one thing that bothers me, and I'm probably going to cop flack for this, but it, I don't care. Did you ever see... Uh, one thing that bothers me is that it seems to me that young boys, like not just what their place is in the world, like knowing what their place is in the world is is becoming increasingly difficult, what their mm-hmm. role is as fathers, providers, husbands, whatever. Mm-hmm. But also there seems to be this increasing push and I'm conscious that guys are the ones who perpetrate domestic violence more than females, slightly, but more. Yeah. But there seems to be this push to almost demonise sometimes young boys. Maybe that's the lens I look at it through. But, like, I look at those Gillette ads. Do you remember those ads where they said that, um, like, masculinity is toxic? Yes, yes. And, like, all it was was two little boys wrestling and they said that that's not good enough. Yeah. That's not what men should be. We should be stepping in and saying to young boys, that's not how you behave. To me, I find that to be, like, so absurd as to be disgracefully wrong almost because I wrestled with my brothers all the time growing up and my neighbour, like, we fucked around all the time. Same. And I've never, ever, ever come close to hitting any woman. Yeah. I I never would. Yeah. And and I don't treat people like shit. Yeah. Like, people who know me will know that. Yeah. And yet, one thing that really bothered me about those ads was it was almost suggesting that my sons, both of them, by default, are that. They are... I don't know when you're talking about when they they are when I say they are that they are that horrible person when they're older who beats their wife or beats their partners and, and treats every, the world like shit. Yeah, and I I just found that that was really unfair to categorize them as that and to label them with that like as a group. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, because I don't like identity politics to begin with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, it just struck me, mate, when you just said um, from a young age it's really important to work with kids and boys and and I just thought it, it just made me think about how I felt when I was watching those ads and, and, and a lot of information that came out about how young boys are growing up. I just thought it's a tough world. Like it, it's, yeah. if you come into it believing that you're already a perpetrator or a domestic violence perpetrator, like... I don't know where you go with that. Yeah. Like, that's not a good... It's funny you say that because I, I fully appreciate that we need to get boys to talk about their feelings, but boys need to be boys. And yeah. teaching at an all-boys school, I'd have kids that would openly cry to me and then the next day they'd be trying to fight their mate. Yeah. And I'd be like, that's what boys do. That's what they do. And it, means no, it actually doesn't mean anything. It's just a way of getting their emotions out and then they're done sort of thing. And, 100%. And boys do that. And boys will always do that. And... Biological, mate. Yeah, hundred percent. It's biological. Chris, thanks, buddy. You're the man. Handshake during COVID. Handshake. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're naked. It's the least I'm contact we could have. Fourteen days uh, <laughs> quarantine now. <laughs> See you, mate.